Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I am joined by Sachin Gupta, Director of Government Business and Economic Development for Centranet, which is a fiber broadband provider and wholly owned subsidiary of Central Rural Electric Cooperative in Stillwater, Oklahoma. We discuss the need for more high-capacity middle-mile networks in rural communities across the U.S. and why he is a proponent of a new model that would see rural electric cooperatives and telephone cooperatives form coalitions to build more middle-mile networks. Sachin, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Nicole. I'm really excited to talk with you today. Um, You and I are going to talk a little bit later about um, Middle Mile in rural America. But before we get into some of that, tell us a bit about where you work. Uh, Tell us about Centronet, where you guys are based, where you deliver service, um, a little bit about your background there. Uh, We are in Stillwater, Oklahoma. I've been here almost 23 years now. Um, So Centronet the company that I work for is a wholly owned subsidiary of Central Rural Electric Cooperative, uh, which is an electric cooperative that serves roughly 17,000 members. Uh, Centronet was born mid-2020, late 2020, uh, I want to say. Uh, and then we connected our first subscriber to broadband uh, July of 2021. Uh, and then since then, we have grown at warp speed so today we are at 6,250 subscribers, uh, and we are expecting to complete our 4,000-mile network in roughly two years. So we're about a little over half done, and another two years or so, we should be completely done with our on-system network. Okay, very cool. So starting in 2020, I presume that means that you had plans for this network prior to the pandemic, right? Yes. Uh, so... As you know, uh, within electric cooperatives, uh, things move uh, depending on how the members decide us decide we should move. Uh, so our board of directors, uh, you know, they have been looking at this, and then our CEO decided that the time to move uh, was ripe now. So we, we did decide before the pandemic hit that we we're going to do it, but then we were right in the middle of it as we were building it. Yeah, what was that like? I'm sure that changed your plans. <laughs> Difficult, um, you know, especially because uh, a lot of our members were like, we need it now, which, you know, the yeah. now part is really, really difficult. And then we also had some supply chain issues. We did not have a lot of supply chain issues. Our vendors are top notch. So we did not have as many supply chain issues as uh, other uh, service providers might have had. Um, but you know, it was a pandemic. Nobody knew what to do. So right. we all had our issues. Right, right, for sure. Um, and just to go back to why you all uh, started this network in the first place, what was the service like um, in the region before you launched Centronet? So most of our members are in really rural Oklahoma. So uh, they are considered unserved, which by FCC's definition is uh, 25 Mbps down, 3 Mbps up. Uh, and we did not get a lot of pushback from our members when we said we're going to bring fiber to you because everybody felt the need for it, uh, uh, which is why it was an easy sell. Yeah. Um, we also saw that uh, when we deploy this fiber, it would really help us with our grid stabilization. So it's like killing two birds with the same mm-hmm. stuff. 
Right. Gotcha. Okay. Um, all right. So obviously starting a fiber network in a pandemic is a challenge in itself, but let's talk about some other challenges that you face in rural America, both for Centronet and other rural providers like you, other electric co-ops. Let's talk just through what are some of the challenges to delivering broadband in these regions right now? So uh, fiber to the home, which is what we do uh, here in rural Oklahoma, and I would say the challenges would be the same as doing any infrastructure project in rural America. Uh, but when it comes to broadband, there are a few things uh, that do stand out. Um, in rural places, generally, you will have a lot less passings per mile. So that's the term uh, we use for every mile of fiber laid, how many, how many households can we connect? Uh, and in an urban environment, you can have that, you know, crossing 100 easily. Right? Within a mile, you can easily have 100 households. Yeah. In rural environments, you'd be lucky to get four or five. So the, the, econom- the economies are a little different. So we have to really think, uh, you know, how to, how to deploy our network uh, in the most cost-effective ma- manner. Uh, and that's the reason why you see a lot of for-profit companies not coming and building in rural America mm-hmm. because there's not a, a good return on investment for them. Uh, given that cooperatives are nonprofit, it is easier for us uh, to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And pres- so, 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 anyways, that's that's really the 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 uh, one of the bigger challenges. But that's not the challenge we're here to talk about today. Uh, uh, the challenge that we're here to talk about today is our access to transit. So. You know, building the last mile network, it's a difficult problem, but it has a known solution. As long as you have the resources, you can always build the last mile network. But then you have to take the people who are in that last mile network out to the bigger internet. And to be able to do that, you need transit, which requires middle mile networks. Um, We can't build middle mile networks. Um, Well, I shouldn't say that. We can build middle-mile networks, and I'll get in that later, but we cannot build them using traditional models. Okay. Uh, there is not that many middle-mile network operators available in rural America. So then you tend to get uh, 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 not as good service, not as much redundancy, and transit tends to be the major operating cost that you have. So as we have grown, right, at this warp speed, we have felt this pain where we had have had to increase our transit exponentially. And as we increase it, right, the, our, our service provider comes to us, our transit service provider comes to us and says, now you have to pay this much for so many gigabits. And, uh, you know, we look at that number and go, okay, uh, that's going to make some people mad. So that, that, that's, that, that's, that's one of the, the bigger uh, issues that we have. Uh, that per- pertains to this conversation. Okay, gotcha. So um, let's let's expand on that a little bit more um, because you know, obviously, what just to address the prior challenge you were talking about, the BEAD program, the forty two point five billion dollar broadband equity access and deployment program, is in theory supposed to help us address that first challenge where we're you know uh, giving the capital out so that we can get get the networks where they need to go. Then there's a much smaller fund, uh, $1 billion middle mile fund that was supposed to address some of the problems you're highlighting. Um, 
for just your perspective on on that fund, I'm curious, uh, does that sound like enough money to you to deal with the problem that we're facing? Not by a long time. <laughs> okay, okay. okay, fair enough. And, and that is me putting it mildly. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'll just break this down for you. So uh, the federal government uh, set up the NTIA's Middle Mile program and funded it with $1 billion. Yeah. They received 235 applications in which $5.5 billion were requested. And that was with an average 40% match. So here you are looking at 235 projects that are already completely baked uh, that will cost $7.5 billion to build. And the budget available is a billion dollars. And I can guarantee you that a lot of these project projects do not even cover rural America. Mm-hmm. There was no requirement for rurality. There was requirement of connecting last mile networks, but there was no real requirement for rurality. And, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, as these results come in and as these funds get depleted, what you will find is that a significant portion of rural America will still not be connected to middle mile. So our problems still remain the same. You know, right. uh, it's easier to get transit in urban markets. It is really, really difficult to get transit in uh, rural markets. Okay. And it does sound a little bit like a chicken and egg scenario uh, with, uh, you, you know, presumably middle mile operators want there to be more last mile options in rural America in order to build there. Uh, and last mile operators need better middle mile. So um, <laughs> you, rec- <laughs> you recently, um, you know, kind of expanded on this a little bit at, in the broadband community on the broadband community site um, with a piece called a middle mile model for rural operators. So let's talk a little bit about what your idea is for for this model and how this could work. Yes. Uh, uh, let me first quickly uh, go through what a traditional model for middle sure mile thing. looks like, right? So yeah. a traditional model is where a large company comes in that has access to a large amount of money, you know, tens to a hundred billion, uh, millions of dollars and decides that they're going to build um, several hundred to several thousand miles of fiber uh, through a state or across a few states uh, and develop this middle mile fiber. And then, you know, they go and buy the right of ways and engage contractors and build that. So that's the traditional model. And obviously, rural operators cannot follow that traditional model because, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, the, the, the start of that requires enough capital that that's unattainable for us. So the model that I have described, and it's in the broadband communities uh, 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 article, and if somebody wants to read it, just Google middle mile model for rural operators. I will also link it in the show notes so they don't have to work that hard, but go on. (laughs) Uh, But essentially what it talks about is that as new last mile uh, networks as new, new rural last mile networks come up, they will generally be within spitting distance of each other. And I mean, that's not something that I'm making up. As I look at uh, last mile models that we have here in Oklahoma, they are really, really close to each other. And as operators, as rural operators build these last mile networks, they will always build them with an excess of fiber. That is a given. Everybody always puts in more fiber than they would need. Mm-hmm. So it would be easy, technically, 
technically it would be easy for these uh, different last mile networks to connect to each other and create a larger middle mile network amongst each other. So, you know, if you look at us, we're in central Oklahoma, but if I want to get to uh, northern, uh, northern Oklahoma or southern Oklahoma or eastern Oklahoma, all I have to do really is connect with several other uh, rural operators mm-hmm. uh, that are right adjacent to us and then other rural operators that are adjacent to the other ones and so on and so forth. Uh, so. That is what I have recommended in this model. Obviously, this model does have its own share of problems. Yeah, we can talk about some of those, but go ahead. Uh, but, but that is pretty much it. Uh, you know, If you can connect these last mile networks, you create essentially a middle mile network. And it's not unprecedented. You know, In Indiana, you have a card, which is a conglomeration of 23 rural electric cooperatives. In Indiana, you have Hoosiers, which is, I believe, 13 uh, telephone companies. Um, um, Arkansas has Diamond States Network, and you mm-hmm. have obviously interviewed them once. Yep. So this is not something that I have invented, right? This is not unprecedented. It is just something that is not very well known. Mm-hmm. Well, so does your model, so what you just described two different um, uh consortiums essentially there's diamond state which is electric co-ops right mm-hmm. and then there's who's your net which is um telephone companies uh telephone operators um your model wants to see those groups work together right correct so uh you know i keep bringing up indiana because they have this problem already figured so indiana has a card which is 23 electric co-ops uh-huh. and who's yours and then they have decided to join hands and become one large network okay. that now covers 75% of Indiana. And just seven days ago, so March 23rd, uh, uh, there was a press release that was put out in South Carolina and uh, several electric co-ops and several telephone uh, co-ops have gotten together there and they have created a group called the Broadband uh, cooperative coalition, I think. So this is just seven days ago, and and I can send you a copy of that press release. Okay, so it's it's starting to happen a little bit. So it is starting to happen. Uh, All it needs really is some like-minded individuals. Yeah. So, okay, so let's talk a little bit. You mentioned there are some challenges with this model. Let's talk through some of them. Presumably getting uh, different types of providers to work together is one of the challenges. Yes. uh, Uh, So... Winston Churchill said that democracy is the worst form of government, except all of the others that have been tried. Right? And good. that really applies to this model. This model is a democratic model, right? Yeah. Every every operator in there can literally be con- literally can be considered as their own country that is joining this United Nations. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, 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 every a rural operator will have their own goals. They would have formed their last mile network with their own purpose. Uh, so to be able to get them all together, A, in the same room just to talk about it, and B, to be able to get them all together to work together towards the same goal, it's not too different than herding cats. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is a difficult, difficult thing to do. 
It's even more difficult when you are talking to rural operators that belong to different classes, right? So you could have electric co-ops and it's easier for 10 electric co-ops to get together and create something like that. And yeah. easier, easier is a relative term here. <laughs> uh, but it's going to be a lot more difficult if you want to create something in which there are electric co-ops and telephone operators. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, it, it, th- that is the biggest challenge uh, yeah. that one faces. Um, with the traditional model, like I said, technically, you can build that and it's really a technical problem to build mm-hmm. that network. Uh, with this rural model of creating a coalition, you have more people problem than technical problems. And as we all know, people problems are more difficult than technical problems. Right. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. <laughs> um, okay. So um, with this model then, you know, like we were saying earlier, the the middle mile fund that's going to come out from the NTIA is pretty small, but the bead fund is much, much bigger. Do you see an opportunity for some of those bead funds to go toward a, projects like like this, perhaps? There is a possibility that bead funds can be used to do middle mile networks um, that would support last mile networks. Right. You cannot build a middle mile network that is not supporting a last mile network and use bead funds for that. That's a given. Right. You could be building a last mile network and then go back to the state and say that, hey, we're building this, but we don't have access to middle mile. We're going to be building this middle mile network as well. My suspicion is this, that the $42.5 billion that the federal government has allocated for last mile network is still not enough to connect all of rural America with fiber, Mm -hmm. which I believe NTIA is promoting fiber pretty heavily. Yes. So, So most of the states would be hard pressed to take that money and say, okay, fine, build a middle mile network with it as well. They would really want most of that money to be spent on last mile. Okay, right. Uh, Politically, it'll also be difficult for them to say that here's this money, it was meant for last mile, but we're going to give it away for middle mile. Okay, yeah, of course. So what else do you think we could do policy-wise or, you know, at I don't know, anywhere in the federal government or the state governments that would help support this kind of model? Two things. Uh, And one of them is already kind of in motion. So uh, uh, within my paper, I mentioned that associations like NTCA, uh, which is a rural broadband association, and Mm -hmm. NRECA, which is the National Rural Electric Cooperative uh, Association, they can get together and they can lubricate ease the tensions between uh, telephone companies and electric co-ops to kind of create such coalitions. Um, uh, And uh, this April 6th, uh, next week, we have a conference in Oklahoma City, and we're going to have a panel uh, in this conference in which we will have a representative of NRECA, a representative of NTCA, and then uh, uh, the chairman of Accord Networks, and then someone from Hoosiers, will come and they will talk about this blueprint that they have developed in Indiana and how other states can follow that. So that's a little bit in motion, but you know, like I said, it's a people problem, so it's going to take some time to resolve that. Yeah. From a policymaker's standpoint, really what should be done is 
that the uh, legislators need to add more to the pot of middle mile, you know, maybe a couple more billion dollars, mm-hmm. maybe not all the way up to eight or $10 billion, but maybe a couple more billion dollars, and then make rurality a requirement in it. You know, uh, they should give a leg up to rural operators. Doesn't matter whether they're electric co-ops or telephone companies or telephone cooperatives, does not matter. As long as they provide service in rural America and as long as they can form coalitions with other rural operators around them, they get a leg up. And uh, these rural coalitions will automatically ask for less money than if you follow the traditional model because a lot Mm. of fiber is already built. Right, right. So so that is something that policymakers can do. Um, uh, Hopefully, you know, NTCA and NRECA can lobby uh, people up on the hill for that. Awesome. Well, with that, I really want to thank you for taking some time to tell us about this idea. And I look forward to seeing it deployed all over the United States of America. (laughs) Thank you very much, Nicole. And thank you for all you are doing to spread the message. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you again, Sachin, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landriau, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.